So it shows you that gap where we have all, we're doing all of this activity and we have projects that are prime for, and ready to go, but yet that top end of the ecosystem is, is not there yet, right? And so the, the story that, that we're working on is we, there, there are opportunities here in South Carolina, come and see. Welcome to the Innovatively Speaking podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Medical University of South Carolina. This is the show where we dive into the origins of the next big things, the who, the why, the how. We explore ideas that are changing what's possible here at MUSC, and in some cases, all across the world. I'm Kevin Smith. With me, as always, is my co-host, Dr. Jesse Goodwin. Jesse, you are the Chief Innovation Officer here at MUSC. Tell me a little bit about the innovation mindset. Yeah, so we take a pretty broad definition of innovation here at MUSC um, to try to make it feel very inclusive to everyone that works here. And so I like to talk about it as creative problem solving, um, and those problems can be pretty wide ranging. They can be you know, looking for new treatment options for patients who really are struggling. It could also be just workflow changes for people who are sort of struggling with their day-to-day activities. And I think by sort of framing it as, you know, what's your pain point during your day um, and what are you trying to solve for? Uh, the goal is to, to make it such that it's part of the culture of, for everyone who works here at MUSC. Well, our guest today is a part of that culture and is a problem solver, Dr. Nate Doloff. Can you tell me a little bit about Nate and what, what, what brought him to your attention for this podcast? Yeah, so I think Nate and I might have started at MUSC the same year. If not, uh, it was pretty close, I think. Um, and so I've had the, the great pleasure of knowing him for almost a decade now. Um, and I first uh, met Nate when he reached out to the office because he'd had a, a really interesting research finding and wanted to know if it was patentable. Um, and actually, at the time, I think I told him no, um, that we weren't going to patent it. But we thought that there was a lot of potential and then just sort of forged a relationship where we sort of planned out a course for what he needed to do to move the technology ahead. And I had the great honor of filing his first patent at MUSC. I think he had others prior to coming here, but I got to be the one to file his first patent on behalf of MUSC, which was um, really exciting. And then it's been really inspiring to see where he's gone um, with that technology and uh, just over the course of his career over the last decade. It is exciting. All right, well, let's dive right in. Dr. Nate Doloff, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Welcome to the MUSC Podcast Studio. Uh, let's start first, first by talking about uh, kind of your, your specialty in research, which is around cancer. Um, I, I think every one of us has, is affected by cancer in some, some way or another. We know somebody or we've been affected by our, ourselves. Um, can you talk a little bit about what, what got you into this field of study to begin with? So first of all, thanks for having me. Um, so the the personal component is a real big one that you touched on, and, and that's true for me too. So I, you know, I, cancer runs in my family. I lost both grandparents at a young age. Never really got to meet them at all. And um, my oldest sister had a bout with cancer early in life, and she's alive and well today, thankfully. But it was a uh, you know personal experience. I think drives what where we find ourselves vocationally sometimes if, if we're lucky. Um, and that's, you know, that, that drove me. And then also my mother had uh, multiple myeloma. She passed in 2011. And so, so those are, I would say I was interested in, in that area of study before all of that took place, but it really, I think galvanized my, what I wanted to do with my, my day to day. And 
you know, during that time, I, you know, I was always interested in drug discovery. That I, um, I, I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. My father started a business and grew it, and so that I, that was always that was a big influence for me. So that was always what I wanted to do. But then I also had family members in the pharmaceutical industry, and I loved that idea because I was you know a math science. Uh, kid. I, I, I love those things. So it was this cool, like, how do you merge these two interests? And so um, so that's what really got me into cancer drug discovery, which is now the focus of my lab. And then, um, and then it was around that same time I had those personal experiences, seeing what cancer does to, to families and to people very in a very real way. And then um, also seeing the impact of drugs. So I, if I can go on a slight tangent, I'll, t- I'll t- the, the, the thing that really got me, so I, my mother had myeloma, and they tried every, they did every, this was back in 2007, where there, when there weren't really as many treatment options as there are now for myeloma. It was, it was very much a death sentence back then. They tried every, the stem cell transplant, thalidomide, everything, you know, chemotherapies back then were the, the standard, and nothing worked. And then they put her on Velcade, which was a a new drug at the time, and a new targeted therapy, and her disease went away completely. It was it was gone for a full year. Good health. She was able to travel. Where we our family was back together, and so so to me that was just like it. Like I was I, I wanted to I was hooked. I wanted to 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 make the next Velcade. That was my like. I would have always been interested in it, but then when I saw that and the impact, I was like, that's that's what I want to do. So that's really a long answer to a short question, but how I got to where I am today and my interests and why it's important to me. Well, we talk a lot about pain points here, and if, if that's not a pain point, I don't know what is, you know? Yeah, I think it's a, a way to turn something that's really tragic and, and sad, but happens to a lot of us, unfortunately, into sort of a, a beautiful story about, you know, forging ahead and creating a path and leaning into it, if you will. Um, and also, I think it's a great example of like taking all the influences in your life um, and, and figuring out how to make that a career. Um, I don't think I, I definitely did not know all of those details about you. I knew some of them, um, but I think it's pretty inspiring to, to watch how people sort of forge their course. And that's great. So talk a little bit about your company as it is now and maybe kind of how we got, how we got there. Talk a little bit about Leukogene. Yeah, so I mean, leukogene is very much an extension of my my academic research. the The work in the academic world is more focused toward basic discoveries and and finding and you know creating new knowledge around a disease topic. In this case, cancer. Uh, in my lab, we do basic drug discovery, so we find potential things that could be drug targets or actual drug candidates that could eventually be a pill or an injectable, and you know that a patient would receive. It, traditionally, that's that's been what you do in academia. How you get then from the discovery and the knowledge to something that's actually real world, uh, you know, a, a product that can actually a tangible product that can have an influence on on people is a is a major question I think that we face as academics and um, and so. The, the the company is really a commercial vehicle for those basic discoveries that don't really um, move in that commercial direction in the academic world, but require that, right? Because the knowledge is, is valuable, but only to the extent that it's going to accomplish the mission of what we want to do, which is to help people ultimately. And so 
that's what Lucagene is. It's it's a commercial vehicle. It's a it's really a I think a gathering point for people for financial assistance for. Um, intellectual property that can then all of those elements that are required to make that product. Yeah, I don't think that most people really understand the sort of long, arduous process. It goes from finding um, an exciting discovery in a lab to actually turning it into a product that we, that gets through the FDA and and how many. Um, steps and sort of fail points there are along the way. Um, certainly, you know, it was, I learned when I got here and sort of am still learning all of all of the various steps, but, you know, having an interesting compound, which I think to most people sort of, you can kind of see like these vague chemical structures, that, you know, that don't really, even still to me, don't really mean much uh, when I look at them. Um, but then how do you take that and turn it into something that you can actually put in a pill? And there's a lot of steps and a lot of chemistry and a lot of science that has to go into that. And unfortunately, when we think about academia, um, largely funded by the federal government, and they pay for hypothesis-driven research where you're asking a scientific question. And I think a lot of that pathway isn't really hypothesis-driven, if you will. There's a lot of just like labors of love that have to go into turning that that scientific finding into to something. And they actually call it the valley of death, right? It's really hard to cross because it's hard to it's hard to do. It's hard to get the funding to do it. Um, and we think about large pharmaceutical companies. And when they're looking at academia, they really want something that's been what they call de-risked, right? And so how far can you push it before, you know, you can get a big pharmaceutical company to pick it up? And I think that's a critical role that, that startup companies have to play, right? They have to be able to take it from where you can get it in a university to where you can get it till, you know, potentially a big pharmaceutical company wants to carry it the rest of the way. Yeah, it's it, it, the whole process is fascinating to me. And and I think we're, you know, I'm certainly learning and feeling my way through it. But I think as a as a whole, we all are in some ways. I mean, we have all of this new knowledge. You have the Human Genome Project, which delivered all of this new data, right? We've made, if you look at the number of publications each year about in basic science programs, they're, they've increased exponentially. So we have all of this new knowledge. What hasn't kept pace, though, is that knowledge being transferred into new drugs and, and new advances. And so, and, and this is all very new. This is, you know, over the last 25, 30 years, which is very young. And so, still trying to figure out how, how to do it. And, and the pharmaceutical industry has evolved over that time as well. They're not doing a lot of their own, you know, they used to do the cradle to grave, but they've reduced their footprint. They're not doing a lot of the early stage R&D in-house anymore. They're looking to academics and startup companies for for that. And so, as, as an academic institution, I think we need to be understanding as best we can what how that changes our, our role maybe and in, in, in what we're doing and um, and what the opportunities there are, and I think there are, there are a lot of them, and then and then how the the academic startup fits in that. It's it's an interesting time. I think we're we're still figuring out that pathway, but I think what's clear is that we have a role in it, and the pharmaceutical companies aren't just jumping in and kind of you know swooping in and saving the day and taking our our nice papers and turning them into to new products. What that we have an obligation and a responsibility if we want to see our research move forward we have to get behind the driver and get in the driver's seat for 
for the, at least the, those early laps and, and start pushing it in that direction. And so I, to me, that's what's exciting because it's unknown. It's kind of this new territory. Um, and I think it's, especially at MUSC, which, you know, Jesse, I know you're, you're very much involved in this, but seeing the vision of the future and what it looks like and how it might be a little bit different um, and the opportunities involved, it's just really exciting. So it's an exciting time. You mentioned getting into the driver's seat to, to push technologies ahead, and you've had a successful career as a faculty member and getting grants and publications and things that we tend to, to pride ourselves on as faculty members. What's the difference in mindset and, and maybe skill set that it takes to transition from a successful faculty member at a university to someone who's leading an early stage company and trying to get it up and off the ground? So that's a good question, um, and and I, it can there some of the seeds there have to be there already. Kind of a, a willingness to to do things differently, um, and then good influences. You need you need really good people around you. So I think it's a I think the seeds need to be there. There needs to be a willingness to to see what could be, but what yet what isn't yet. Um, but then also recognizing the the scariness of that and understanding that you can't go it alone and finding really good people to to bring around you and having the the um the good fortune of having good people right i mean you can go and seek them out and be like hey come and mentor me right uh but it doesn't always happen that way so you so there's a there's a, a good fortune part to it where you just have really great people that come into your life and you know can speak into your life well and um, and help you through making that transition maybe into a, a new world. And the science doesn't go away. You you know you need uh, good science is 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 the a backbone. it's yeah it's not less than that, but it's it's you know it's more than that too. But it's not less, right? So you need to be a really good scientist and have that background, and then be able to make that um, next step. And I think it's a long process as well. So I started my my journey in this area um, when I was a kid, I guess. I used to, you know, take my dad's old briefcases and, like, put my um, underoos in, in them and, and go and sell them to my sisters. Um, <laughs> so it started early. <laughs> if you remember underoos. I, I mean, Yeah, they were, they were awesome. Um, my son has them now. My three-year-old son has them now, not my 11-year-old son. He'd be very embarrassed if I said that. Uh, but I make this stuff clear in case I listen yeah, just, to it. Yeah, just to clarify. So it started early, but I, I think um, it, it early in life, but then in earnest, it was probably around the time of like my late postdoc years. So it's been over 10 years now, and it's been a... So, so I think that's it too. Is giving it time. You got to let these things marinate. Like, there's just no substitute for time, and going through some some hard knocks, right? And so, you know, we could probably talk about this too. That's you know later in the discussion, but about just finding these individuals, and I think finding them early, finding trainees early, postdocs or junior faculty, graduate students, those things. So. So time, good influences, and, and some seeds and some risk tolerance are, I think, all those ingredients. You mix them together, and that's how you do it. So to put the, just to put the focus back on you know, a specific example, the drug that saved your mom, 
it was started as there was a problem. Your mom had myeloma. And then the idea that someone is like you wanting to research, wanting having to taking these, these data points and figuring out how to solve this problem. What we're talking about here is that all the stuff in between that a lot of people miss. So again, we're trying to get from an idea to a solution, but let's talk a little bit about that because I feel like MUSC is a is a hotbed for exactly that middle ground, bringing these people together, these minds together, these different types of people. Talk a little bit about how you uh, create that kind of atmosphere here, that kind of culture. Yeah, and and I think it's something that MUSC has been working hard um, at for a long time, uh, even prior to my getting here. But I think we've really seen. Uh, a growth in it over the last 10 years um, because the institution has leaned in and, and started supporting it. There's always been great science here, right? And I think that that's what excites me about working here is just the quality of the people that I get to work with and the quality of the research that they're performing. But as Nate said, it's not enough, right? Like the science is the starting point. Um, and there's so many other things that you have to layer on to that. Um, you know, innovation is a team sport. And my prior jobs, you know, taught me that, you know, IP is king. So we're talking about patents there, right? And so, um, you know, I worked for big medical device companies in my consulting firm. And if you didn't have a good patent position, it didn't matter how good your science was because they need to be able to protect it. And so that's another piece that you have to layer on. And so I think MUSC has been um, really committed to trying to put together all of those pieces of the puzzle that it takes in order to take really good science and push it ahead. And we've made tremendous progress in doing that, but we're still not all the way there. I think that we still have, you know, more um, pieces of that bridge to build. Um, But I am actually really proud of how far we've come in what really is a short amount of time. You know, when, when, I got here 10 years ago, it was, you know, we were rebuilding the patent office, quite frankly. So we had really good researchers, but we were sort of lacking everything else. And you can kind of look at now, I think we have a pretty robust system for filing patents. And that's a big piece of the puzzle. You know, we're working on building a mentorship network so that someone like Nate, who wants to start a company, doesn't have to feel like they're doing it alone, right? He's got um, people that he can turn to and ask for questions. And, and so we're working on putting the rest of those puzzle pieces together. Um, And in that time frame, we've leaned into this idea that, you know, a startup mindset is, is part of it. It's part of the pathway that MUSC needs to embrace if we're going to have the type of success that I think that we're capable of as an organization. And so um, putting pieces in place to help our faculty figure out what does it actually mean to start a company, um, you know, from the initial piece, like, you know, how do you actually set up a business, you know, and the $300 that you're going to have to pay for that application fee. But but on top of that, what does it actually mean to, to, to have a business and to run it? And we learn every year as well. And you know, trying to plug those pieces of the puzzle in. Well, elaborate on that a little bit, Nate. You you seem to have done exactly that. You've taken all these pieces. You brought a lot of pieces to the table, sounds like, which is great. But you've taken these pieces and, and through the MUSC pipeline have built this company. And now you're sort of spearheading that approach for other people, it sounds like to me. Maybe talk a little bit about some of the things you experienced getting there. Yeah, so Jesse, as you were saying that, I, I thought back to 2014 when when I first met you, and and really where we were at the time, and and it is 
pretty wild to think about how much everything has grown. And we have the numbers to support that growth. I think maybe when I got here, we maybe had a couple SBIRs at the time. And When you got here, we had uh, three that were from outside companies that just wanted to use our animal facility. <laughs> yeah. Um, we didn't have any that we were leading. And now we have, you know, we, and we have the numbers to back it up. But, I mean, I don't know how, what would we do? Probably a dozen or more right now. Yeah, and I think Commerce, the state um, Commerce Office has, you know, reported that we went from being in the um, high 40s in the nation, um, you know, five to 10 years ago for startup companies and, and funding to our startup companies to 13th in the nation um, for money coming to our startup companies, which is extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, it's truly extraordinary. What do you attribute that to? Honestly, I think it's support and encouragement, um, you know, in terms of letting people know it's an option um, and, and sort of helping to facilitate that. But I'm curious what Nate's opinion is because we use him as like a case example. Like I, I looked to, to, to Nate and a few other of our, of our startup companies to try to figure out what else we need to build here because um, they're living it, right? And so I'm always like, well, what else do you need? Um, so I'm curious, what do you think sort of sparked the, the interest and the boom that we have in, in our startup culture? Good question. I think there's a lot of it's it's hard to put my finger on just one thing. I think it starts with leadership and it starts with uh, you know people like us. you you know you've had leadership positions since as long as I can remember and and have moved into bigger and bigger leadership positions and and really um, championed for for that. So I think that's where it starts. It starts with leadership. It starts with department chairs that recognize that. Okay, so I'll take a step back a little bit. Um, the a big part of what we do is we we fund our research. We have to, as scientists, we have to go out and find the money to pay for our staff and to pay for supplies and to pay for mice and. And in therapeutics, especially, it's very expensive. And so one of the important things. Um, as a cost center, in a way, is that we we are paying for what we're doing, and I think um, some universities have been resistant to the idea that there are ways to fund your research beyond your traditional research, you know, program grants, R ones, and R twenty ones, and and that sponsored research agreements with companies is a way to fund your research, and small business grants if you have a startup company, another way to 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 offset some of those costs. And so I think that um, leadership and department chairs being accepting and understanding and faculty being flexible and understanding that their job at the end of the day is to to find a way to push their research forward. And dollars are green, whether they come from an R01 or they come from a sponsored research agreement, you need to find ways to fund your research. And so I think there's that flexibility, there's the leadership. Um, and then I think it you know, one of the things that I'm I'm doing right now is just talking about it and and having an open dialogue about why it's important, why I think what I'm doing is important, and you know, for the startup companies and and how that fits in the the mission of the the university. That you know, what are we up to? Fifteen thousand employees, or I mean, it's a big it's a big institution. And so, how does that fit in the grand scheme of things and what we're trying to accomplish as a group of 15,000 people, right? Um, so, I think that's it. It's leadership. It's people um, willing to, to step into something new 
and um and and having an open dialogue and i still think we need to have a lot of those and 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 continue to grow this because the the growth has been extraordinary i think musc is very forward thinking in in our approach to this and it's and i think nimble and can benefit from this maybe more than some some of the other major institutions say in california or the northeast not to to get off topic but i think musc is has its unique set of strengths and i believe this could be ours and so all of those things you know just kind of feeding feeding those things moving forward will be important because it got I, I believe that's what got us here so quickly well, the numbers don't lie i mean the, the the 13 number 13 in the whole united states that's that's crazy to me i wouldn't have guessed that i don't think and i guess the next step is we were talking a little bit about this when we were prepping today is uh venture capital coming into the mix part of the idea here is like you were saying money's green regardless venture capitalists are trying to make money obviously that's the point so so you you're having to show them that this can make money but there's so much more to it at the same time you know yeah, so uh, I learned an interesting fact from, from Nate on a call that we were on together the other day. I actually made a note, but I'll let him share the stats. Um, but so when we talk about being 13th in the nation, it's probably important to delineate that that's money that comes from the federal government for small businesses, right? And so we've done a really, and I'll use the word extraordinary again, job of, of going from hardly any um, as a state and definitely as an institution to being a real, you know, powerhouse, relatively speaking, in terms of our ability to leverage um, that type of funding, which is really important because it's what they call non-dilutive, meaning that, you know, they don't have to pay it back. Um, and, and so it's really sort of a great way to get a company up and off the ground, but it's not enough to really carry a project fully forward. You've got to get venture capital. And we need now to start to tell the story of where we're at as a state and as an organization um, with our startups and the success that we've had from the federal programs that have been available to attract more venture capital. And, and maybe I'll ask Nate to share the stats of, of where we're still lagging there. Yeah, so so we, we like to talk about it as an ecosystem. There's the life science ecosystem, and like an ecosystem in nature, you have all the different components. You have apex predators, which sit at the top, and they eat the smaller animals, which eat the plants, which um, are sustained by uh, bacteria in the soil, and 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 round and round you go. And 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 the life sciences ecosystem is is very similar in that if you have weakness in one part of that chain, it weakens the entire chain. Um, and so we, we look at it as you have the basic science and then you have your startups, but then there's the, the top end of the ecosystem, so to speak, that you have the big, you know, maybe the apex predators we could compare them to. You would have VC venture capital firms. You would have um, the um, pharmaceutical partners, you know, the, the, the big companies that, that have a lot of resources and expertise and um, and so you need all of those components and we are very good at the science at MUSC is outstanding we've talked about the startup culture and 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 that maybe that first leg of the commercialization process we've gotten good at that and we're going to get better at it um, but then it's it, more time um, we've spent looking at the the ecosystem as a whole we're saying 
we, there are weaknesses. We, we, you know, we we have what we're doing, but so long as those other pieces are weak, the 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 movement of our programs into that commercial space is going to be limited. And so we're spending a lot of time, I think, now analyzing where we're falling short, maybe as a state in those areas, how we can address those gaps. And so back to your question about the the venture capital, we we've done an analysis and we South Carolina is really not doing well in this area. We we have all of these science, you know, we have great institutions, we have great science, but for whatever reason, venture capital is not investing in those projects. We are ninth Ninth lowest, I guess I would say we're we're number nine from the bottom. As opposed yeah, yeah, to yeah. being thirteenth from the top, yeah, we are, yeah, right, right, we're ninth right. from the bottom right. in terms of venture capital. <laughs> so it shows you that gap where we have all we're doing all of this activity and we have projects that are prime for, and ready to go, but yet that top end of the ecosystem is is not there yet, right? And so the the story that that we're working on is. You, you, there, there are opportunities here in South Carolina. Come and see, you know. Come and put your park your money here, and and we just need a little bit of help, or, you know. And so there's a lot of work going on around the state. SC Bio is doing some great work in this area. MUSC is leading in this area. I've gotten, I'm, I, it's a fascinating area for me. We're doing all sorts of work in this area, um, but that's critical. If we could go from ninth to fifteenth. What would that look like for for us as a as a state and and build from there? Um, but but that that if if we had to pick like where do we need to go from here? You know we're we're pushing our prod our projects into the to the world. Imagine if they were being pulled. You know if you can visualize that. You know something above us pulling our projects up as opposed to us you know lifting this heavy weight trying to push them into a world that's not ready for them. So those are two really great illustrative examples. One, thinking about it as an ecosystem with the VCs as, as apex predators and the push versus pull. And um, I'm going to unapologetically just announce here and now that I'm going to use those in future discussions. <laughs> so I'll, I'll credit you when appropriate, but I might just plagiarize <laughs> as well. <laughs> so what is then the the move? What's the what's the way to get get the the attention? of the venture capital firms? What, what, what are we missing here? I think it it takes a few things. Um, one, it takes compelling stories. The VCs aren't going to come just for one project. I mean, I think maybe. Um, but if we really want to catch their attention on an ongoing basis, we have to show that there's a, a whole robust sort of portfolio, as we would call it, of things to, to look at on an ongoing basis that, that puts us on their radar as a place that they should continue to look at. Um, and, and that takes good storytelling. Like we need to be telling people and shouting it from the rooftops about the fantastic science that we have and, and relying more, um, doing more than just relying on uh, high profile papers to do so. I mean, it takes a concerted marketing push to let people know um, about the work that we have here. I think that we need to promote um the strengths that we have in terms of the the startup ecosystem, the numbers of companies and their success in pulling in funding, and um, the numbers of you know employees that they have, because it speaks to sort of the whole economic engine that's in the state that makes us, I think, more interesting from an outsider's perspective to say, huh, they got a lot going on there, um, and we should be looking there. 
Um, I do think that we're, we're going to need to solve a space issue as well, because when a VC is going to come and look at a company like Leucagene and, and talk to Nate and they're saying, OK, we're going to give you all this money to do this, but where are you going to do the work at? Um, as a state, we don't want the answer to have to be we're going to move out of state. Right. Um, we want to be able to point to um, good employee potential and good space and to be able to say we can do it all right here because, you know, MUSC has got it going on <laughs> and we're backed by by the state and by the region to to do these things. So I think that there's um, some work still to be done, but we're making, the good news is that we're making good progress on all of those fronts. They're all topics that are front and center, um, both at the institutional level and then also at the state level as well with, a, I think, a common understanding that we're poised and sort of at an inflection point where we can really make a run at this and be successful at it, but we're all going to have to lean in collectively together because no one part of South Carolina is going to be able to do it on, on its own. Yeah, that the space one, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a big one. If you look at the metrics of the the regions that are successful, that's one of the major metrics they look at is square footage of lab space. And so we... And, and so that's a commitment that that's probably a you know at the state level and um, and VCs will look at that. Um, anyone who looks at the ecosystem and the strengths of it will say, well, what's your square footage of lab space? So I think that's a big one. And then we just you know we need to be successful. The, you know when when VCs do invest, we need to to find ways to help them be those projects be successful as a way to 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 show that this is this is an example of what could be. Um, and then there's, you know, providing the pipeline. So Jesse's office has a number of opportunities for scientists to pursue things that are, you know, toward patenting and, and more commercialization, milestone-driven. So, so having that farm system, so to speak, of projects and a pipeline that is – because like you said, it's not a one-off sort of one project. They want to know that they're going to, if they come and invest in a region, that there will be future uh, opportunities and that the, the ones that they invest in are surrounded by other talent and competition and a rich environment to, to grow within, you know. So it's, it's um, I, we, I, and the good thing is we have a lot of those components there. But I think that's the key is being successful and then and then having the pipeline in place. I had the opportunity to I, I knew how passionate Nate was about this and, and not only for his own specific projects, but really he's been a, a huge asset and, and colleague to me in terms of trying to advance the culture of, of innovation and entrepreneurship at MUSC overall. And so I had the opportunity to, to take Nate up a little bit more formally on that. And one of the things that we decided to do initially was um, collect some data to talk about why entrepreneurship was important, right? Because as we've said, you know, telling a good story is is part of it. Um, and, and we had all of this activity, but we didn't really have solid numbers that we could point to to say, you know, why is this important and, and how is it contributing um, not just to MUSC but to the state in general? And we call that, call that sort of impact to the local knowledge economy. What are, you know, what are the benefits of having a robust um, entrepreneurship sort of mindset at MUSC? Um, and so it was 
kind of a good project, and, and Nate collected some really fascinating data that I think creates a really compelling story to, to share. Yeah, I can tell you some of the numbers. So, you know, we like we were, we were saying, it's we've, we know the growth. Like, we've seen it, but when, until you put numbers to it, it's kind of like a, a, a bit of a moving target. So we put the numbers together, and they were actually better than I thought they were they going were to be. Better than I thought they were going to be, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, we, uh, so we had actively, we have 51 companies across campus the the federal money that those companies have brought so so this is you know the the federal government has money that's available for grants and and a lot of that money goes to you know big areas and south carolina tends to not be one of those so bringing federal money to the state is really a big win uh, because that money gets spent here for the most part um, and so since just 2016, so we just went back to 26, so 2016 to 2022, and that doesn't include 23, which and we have some big wins in this year. So if we just look at that six-year period, almost 30 million dollars in federal money was brought by our startups to Charleston, which is incredible. I I didn't know that it was going to be that much, and then um, so that's 51 companies, and then in addition to that, 70 million in in total funding has been brought to the Charleston area by those companies. So, the federal government is public money. This would be a combination of public and private. 70 million. So it's it's just incredible numbers. And then of that, outside of MUSC walls, those those because because some of that money will support subawards to MUSC to support, you know, animal studies and and personnel in in the labs at the university. But outside of those jobs that were supported, another 65 full-time equivalents were were created. So 65 full-time high-paying jobs created since, you know, 2016 to 2022. So it was really remarkable and 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 it I think it's a that's the 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 short-term, you know, there are some immediate benefits of this work, you know, and it's in the form of economic drivers, and um, and yeah, I was just really impressed by it. Yeah, and I think that being able to share those numbers is incredibly important because you know, as as Nate said earlier, right, in order to really catalyze the the region to become a hub where people will look for technology and understand that that we can build it here. Um, we have to be able to get support from the local and the state level. And it's without having a good foundation of, of data to give them, um, it's hard to ask for money. <laughs> um, you got to be able to sort of tell a story about what you're going to do with it and why they should care. And I think that being able to report that we've brought $70 million um, to the state and created 65 jobs that are high paying because they're all in you know the STEM field um, starts to create that that narrative that will hopefully make those that need to listen sit up and 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 listen to us um, and understand that there's we can do more um, if we can get collective support. Yeah, I agree. Well, it sounds like we're on the way. And one of the things we say here all the time is we're changing what's possible. And I think this conversation today is is a good example of that. Some stuff's changing and it's it's amazing. So I'm excited. Thank you so much, Nate, for spending some time with us today. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, and thank you very much. And thank you, Kevin. Thank you. You've been listening to the Innovatively Speaking Podcast with the Medical University of South Carolina. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, leave a rating and review. To hear more innovative ideas and to share your own, subscribe to the show or visit us on our webpage, 
web.musc.edu slash innovation. And remember, don't hesitate to innovate.